I love congregational singing for two reasons. Number one, I just love to hear the saints sing. I mean, that's, that's glorious. That's one of the things. The Bible doesn't give us a ton of information about heaven, but there's going to be a lot of singing in heaven, and, and there's going to be a lot of congregational singing in heaven. So I love that. And number two, I love the fact that I can't hear my own voice when I sing. And uh, the Lord has um, not blessed me with a particularly um, melodious voice, though I love to sing. Um, and for those of you that are like me, don't let it stop you from singing. Uh, continue to sing. Showers are the best. Because, um, you know, the water kind of drowns out that as well. But praise the Lord. We have a wonderful singing congregation. Um, if, if you ever visit other churches or if you go to other churches there, sometimes that's always not true. But one of the things I love about this congregation is that we do sing out. And we have wonderful musicians that help with that as well. So I very much praise and thank the Lord for that. Today we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 29. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, this is your word. These are your people. I pray that you might bless them now. Give them the hope that's mentioned in this passage. Give them the strength and courage to continue on fighting the good fight of faith. Bless us now as your people as we learn from you. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen. Well, um, I know all of you are aware that um, there's a war going on in Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia. And over the past uh, few days, I have um, been looking at the events and as people talk about how those events will impact us, um, how what it's doing currently to the Ukrainian people, um, the potential global impact that it would have, um, there's a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty. And maybe some of you are dealing with some of those fears and uncertainty. Last night, um, I took my family and, and we ate and then we had a, a conversation about it. And I gave my children the opportunity to ask questions and I gave them an opportunity 
to talk to me about what's going on because there is a lot of fear and uncertainty. And in the midst of us having uh, this conversation, I told them, and, and this became evident, that we need a hope that extends beyond ourselves. You know, it, it's not just in times of war that we ought to realize this, but this is generally the case, all of us. We need a hope that extends beyond this world. We need a hope that extends beyond ourselves. We need a hope that extends beyond our jobs and, and our families. We need a hope that extends beyond the mundane things that often happen in our lives. We need a hope that extends and that is bigger than anything that you and I may face. We need that hope. And in the providence of God, the, the scriptures that I had, um, that I had next to preach, is this passage. And in this passage, we get a glimpse of the hope that we need that is bigger than all of us, that's bigger than whatever is happening in the world, that's bigger than what is even happening in our lives. And the hope is found in verse number 27, when Paul says, to them God chose, and to them meaning the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is that mystery? The mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the message that we need today. In fact, I would argue that's the message that we need every day. We need to be reminded of the God, the eternal preeminent God that by grace through faith exists in us if we accept him. That that God is resident in us through the Holy Spirit and that is our hope that extends beyond whatever we are going through in our personal lives and whatever else we see in the world. That is the blessed hope. That is the message that we need for today. And I want to give you three reasons why that message is vitally important. The first reason is this, because that message instills confidence in each and every one of us. Second reason is that message provides in the endurance that we need for suffering. And third, that message is the message we need that provides strength. And all of those are found here today. First of all, it's the message that provides confidence. Again, if you look at verse number 27, Paul is talking to them, the church at Colossia, about salvation. This is a group of people that are doubting their salvation. This is a group of people that are experiencing suffering. And Paul says that at the heart of the message of the gospel is they need to be reminded of the glorious mystery of our faith. And the glorious mystery of our faith is this, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now let me say this, Christian hope, gospel hope, Christian hope that you find in the Bible is not a mere wish. It's not a mere desire. Now there are some of you inside you today, college students, we have a number of you, you're probably saying, man, I hope when I graduate, I find a job. Now, there's no guarantee you will, but you hope that. You hope that the degree that you have will one day get you a job, right? But, but there's no certainty to that, okay? 
you might not end up with a job and you have to live with your parents for a while. I hope that doesn't happen, but it may. There are some of you inside you today, you hope that you get a promotion on your job. That would be nice, but there's no guarantee to that. There's some of us inside you today, hope for a lot of things, and really what it is, is just wish. I hope that I found a good spouse, and I hope I'm able to do this, and I'm, I hope that I'm able to do that. And all of that is just mere wishing. But that's not the kind of hope Paul is saying here. Christ in you, the hope of glory, isn't just mere wish. It is a settled confidence that we have in who God is and what God has said he will do. That's the kind of hope we have as Christians, as believers. It's a settled hope. It's a settled confidence. And let me say this too. That hope isn't just mere future hope. There are two realities to that. Scholars call it the already, not yet. Yes, there's a future hope. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, meaning the hope of heaven. That's a future hope. If you are a believer in here today, there is a future hope of heaven. Praise the Lord, I'm glad that this world, this earth is not the end-all be-all. That the suffering that we experience in this world is not the final say. Yes, if you have Christ in you, there is a future hope of glory, future hope of heaven. Now, there's the opposite corollary, and it's this. If you don't have Christ in you, the hope of glory, then heaven is not your final destination. Your final destination is eternal damnation, hell. You say, Pastor, how do you know that to be the case? Well, look at just, just look at God's word. Paul says in Romans um, 8, 9 through 10, you, however, are not of the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, if you do not have Christ dwelling within you, there is no hope of heaven. Later on in uh, Romans 8, 16, Paul says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Think about that for a moment. Paul says that if truly Christ lives within you, the whole, your spirit and the Holy Spirit come together to show, to demonstrate, to prove to everyone around you that you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, the future hope that you have is glory. Praise God for that. That's something that will help you get up in the morning when you don't feel like get up in the morning. That you have a future hope. But the hope isn't just future. Because notice what Paul says. Paul says Christ in you. That's a present reality. That's a now reality. Yes, you, there's a future hope that you have in heaven. Praise God for that. We can hold on to that. But there is a right now hope that we have as a result of Christ in you, that is supposed to bring confidence, instill confidence in you, not just for the world to come and the life to come, but right now. I'll never forget, I, um, most of you all know, I was a barista at some point. Don't ask me to make anything now. I can't do it. Um, you know, uh, I go to somebody else's house, or, uh, Rob Chaplin makes amazing latte art. And if you see him, please ask him to do so. God didn't mean to put you on the spot there, Rob, but 
You can handle it. And I, I'll never forget, I, 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 was, I was a barista, and I worked with this young lady. And this, lady, this young lady came into work one day absolutely distraught. And I looked at her, I can't remember her name now, but I said, but I said, um, I said, why are you so distraught? And she said, Dennis, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian. And she said, you know what? I think I lost my salvation. And I said, what are you talking about? And she says, I don't think I'm a Christian. I don't think I'm on my way to heaven. And so I said, well, well calm down. Why do you feel this way? And, and let me say this. If ever you see someone who doesn't have the hope of heaven, someone that has lost their confidence in their salvation. Nine times out of the ten, two things are true. Number one, they are right now in sin, some kind of sin. And number two, they are not worshiping with the Lord. And sure enough, that was her case. She confessed to me that she was sleeping with her boyfriend and she knew that was wrong. And the second thing is that she confessed to me that she had not been going to church and had not read her Bible and was not walking with the Lord. Those two, nine times out of ten, that's the case. There's some of us inside today that's not the case for us, and we struggle with um, our, our assurance of salvation. That's, that's a different category. For this young lady, that was her problem. And I, I looked at her, and, and as, as grace would have it, as God would have it, two weeks before in a systematics class I was taking, and I was new to seminary, we learned about the doctrine of uh, the eternal security of the believer. And I took her to John 10, 28, where Jesus says that I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And I said, look, what Jesus is saying here is that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, there is no possibility of falling away. You will never... There's no way that
too confident. All right, they're telling me I, okay, am I on now? Good. Can you all have heard me, by the way? I think I was talking loud enough, but you never know, all right? But confidence, that's the first thing it does. Notice the second thing it does according to this verse. So what does Christ in you, the hope of glory, provide for us? It provides supreme confidence. Confidence for the life to come, but also confidence now. Despite all the things that's going on in our world, and I told this to my family, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to get bombed to oblivion. I don't know if the gas prices are going to go up. I don't know if, I don't know what's going to happen geopolitically, but I know this, Christ is with us. And beloved, if Christ is with you, nothing else matters. That's a powerful reality. I'll tell you one, one quick story. Me and my son um, went on a, on a hike recently, and Mike, Jordan, uh, Mike Warren uh, took us on a hike, wonderful hike. And, and we hit a river, and we had to cross the river. And my son was scared and nervous. I hope I'm not putting him on blast. But he did fantastic throughout the hike, by the way. But when we hit the river, he was nervous. And, and I, I said, son, hold on to me. And so he held on to me, and we started walking uh, over, the mirror, uh, over the river. And at that time, Mike Jordan took a picture of us and sent it to me. And I showed my wife the picture, and tears welled up in her eyes. And my wife said, this is what it means for Christ to be with us. This is what it means for God to be with us. That we're holding on to him. That even though uh, my son was scared and nervous, he was walking over the river waters. And the same thing is true here. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the exact thing we need when the rivers of this world swell up and begin to overflow us, that we have something to hold on to. And if you are not holding on to Christ, you will be swept away. Christ in you, the hope of glory, gives us confidence. Second thing real quick, it helps us to endure suffering. Notice with me in verse 24 and 25, Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that because Christ is in us, we as God's people, we as those who've been called out by God, can actually endure suffering. Now, what does Paul mean here when he says that we are filling up what is lacking of Christ's affliction? Affliction. Let me say quickly, he's not saying that somehow our suffering in this world makes up for Christ's lack of suffering. That's not what he's saying here. If you look at verse 21 and 22, it's clear that Paul says Christ's suffering for us has done abundant good. It has reconciled us to God. In verse 21 he says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by the death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. There's nothing that Christ's suffering did not already accomplish for you. So it's not lacking. The point that Paul is making here is that all future sufferings that Christ predicted, we are now participating in. I mentioned this last week, 
But all of us inside here today need to come to the reality that in this life, we will suffer. We will have tribulation. We ought not to be surprised by that. That's a present reality. Now, even though all of us suffer persecution and trials, the Word of God tells us, though, that there's something different um, there's something different about how a Christian struggles with trials and tempta uh, temptations and tribulations and suffering in general. For instance, if notice in this passage the difference between Paul's suffering as a Christian and the kind of suffering that we see in the world. At the beginning of verse number 24, Paul says, and this is the first one, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now pause for a moment. When you suffer, do you rejoice? I'm just going to be honest with you. When I suffer, here are my reins of emotions. First of all, I complain. Second of all, I get depressed. And third of all, I get irritable. Does that sound like us? That's the typical fleshly response to suffering. We complain, we get depressed, and we get miserable, and we get irritable. But notice what Paul does. The Bible says that he rejoiced in suffering. Anyone you see rejoicing in suffering, that's a sign that Christ is in them. Because that's so counter-flesh. It's so counter-flesh to rejoice in suffering. It's so counter-flesh to remember the promises of God in the midst of suffering and what that does for you. For instance, here are all the promises of God that take place when a Christian suffers. Paul says, first of all, in this very passage, that we share in the sufferings of Christ. That's one glorious reality of suffering. James says that your suffering actually produces patience. Do you know that? When you suffer, if you become impatient, you're missing the purpose of suffering. It's to make you patient. James, uh, sorry, the writer of Hebrews says that through suffering, you learn obedience, obedience to God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that our suffering produces an eternal weight of glory. These are all the benefits of suffering. Now, how is it that you and I could remember that? It could only be by the Spirit of God in us. It could only be as a result of Christ in us, the hope of glory. But notice the second thing. Paul says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body that is the church. Here's the second reason we know that Christ was in Paul as he suffered. Paul says that my suffering is actually for you, for our benefit. When we as God's people suffer on behalf of others, that demonstrates that Christ is in us. When we have a desire to suffer on behalf of others, that shows that Christ is actually at work in each and every one of us. There's a famous story um, that's told about uh, the Second World War, and it's by a priest by the name of Maximilian uh, Kolb. And he was held at Auschwitz. And as the story goes, one day, as he was in Auschwitz, a man escaped Auschwitz and, and ended up um, getting away. And the guards at Auschwitz said that we want to choose 10 people who will be starved to death as a result of this one person running away, and that will teach everybody else not to try and escape. And out of the 10 people that were chosen, one of the men cried out and said, oh Lord, my wife and my family, my wife and my children. 
And Maximilian stood up and said, I, I, I will die for him. I will go for him. And that's what he did. And for the next 30 days, all of the men, except him, actually died from starvation and, and uh, thirst. And, and eventually, they ended up killing him through lethal injection. And it's a pretty well-known story. You could look at it. But, but the thing that comes out of the story that was so beautiful was this. He made a conscious decision to suffer and die for others. That's the power of the gospel. When you as a believer realize what Christ has done for you, it makes it easy to do it for others. Now, you might say, Pastor Dennis, I don't know if I'll ever be put in a situation where I will be called or asked to die for somebody else. And you're absolutely right. But I will say this. There's another way that we can die daily on behalf of others. Let me give you a few quick examples. Jesus says that if somebody hurts you, that your calling is to forgive. Do you realize if somebody hurts you and you forgive them, do you realize that that's dying to self? Do you know how hard it is to forgive someone that has truly wronged you? That takes power. That takes Christ in you. And if you're in here today holding on to a grudge, if you're in here today angry and frustrated at somebody and you haven't reconciled with them, you're not dying in the way that God calls you to die. Here's the second way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that it is better to suffer financial loss than to sue your brother. In other words, what, what is Paul saying there? Paul says that we should be willing to suffer wrong if it will win our brother. And so how can you die each and every day? It's by willingly giving up your rights for the sake of others. That's how you and I die. I'll give you one more. James says that when someone insults us, we are called not to insult them back, that we need to bridle our tongue. When somebody says something mean and caustic against you, it takes a certain death for you to pull back and say, you know what, I'm not going to respond in kind. I'm not going to say something mean and hurtful to that person. There are many ways, in fact, even in our own marriages, we're called to die to self. Siblings, you're called to die to self. Young people with your parents, you're called to die to your needs and your wants for the sake of others. You see, at the heart of every relationship, and in fact, I would say this is at the heart of gospel, Jesus says this, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, let him kill himself, pick up his cross and follow after me. You may never be asked to die for someone else in the way Maximilian was, but you are called to die daily, every single day in your home, on your job, with your relationships, with your family, with the relationships with the people around you. That's how practically every day you can die to self. Christian, are you doing it? Are you taking up that charge? If Christ is in you, we ought to be doing it. And here's the final thing. Notice uh, what is the last thing that we see in this passage. It is the message that provides strength. Because we can't do this in our own strength. Notice verse 28 and 29. Paul says this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying this. The work of presenting people mature in Christ is a very taxing and hard work. You all know this. If you're a parent, you know this to be the case. One of the hardest things you can do is teach your children right from wrong. And, and there are times when you're talking to your children, you're trying to explain to them, look, this is wrong, this is right, and it almost seems like the words are hitting them and, and bouncing off, you know? It's almost like they're Teflon. And you're wondering, what, what's going on? I'm trying to tell you the right thing to do. But, but the gospel calls us to continue to labor in that. Such is the case with one another. Such is the case with one another. And we need the energy that comes from Christ in us. Paul says that powerfully works in us. Paul says, I toil and struggle in order to present people mature in Christ. Relationships are so hard. You and I know this. This is why we can't be in relationship in and of our own strength. I won't mention any names, but right now, there's a situation I'm aware of where there are people fighting and struggling with one another. Fighting and struggling with one another. It's not here. It's not at our church. But people fighting and struggling with one another. And as I look at this situation, I ask myself the question, what is the gospel for? If, 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 if the reality of Christ in you, if the reality of the gospel doesn't move you to go and reconcile with your brother or to be in fellowship with your brother or doesn't move you to go and, and try and see if you can make amends, then what is the gospel for? If we can't live in harmony and unity with one another, if the gospel, if Jesus Christ in us cannot provide us with the strength to reconcile our differences and to love our brother and to move forward even in the midst of strife and contention, Ask yourself the question, what is the gospel for? If all the gospel is for is for us to come here and hear about the gospel and then we leave and, and it has no relevance, no basis in our life, then please, let's do something else. Let's go do something else. Let's give our money elsewhere. I am not up here just because I get paid to be up here. I get, I'm up here today because I believe the gospel. I believe that there's something in me that's driving me and transforming me. And that changes everything. And it should for you too. Look, if Christ is in us, if that is the mystery, that's the treasure, if that's our hope, then we have to live like it. Otherwise, when the world sees us, they're going to think this is a joke. This is a joke. This isn't real. The reality of the hope that's within us has to transcend everything else. Otherwise, it's all meaningless. Beloved, hear me today. You, if you are a Christian, you have a power that's in you that should transcend and transform everything. Let's show the world that by relying on that power and that by relying on that hope. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you because it is hard. It is difficult. Lord, we live in a world beset by violence, 
and madmen taking over countries. We live in a world where we're fighting and biting at one another, and Paul's, uh, Paul's glorious reality that he gives to us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, Lord, that has to transform us, that has to shape the way we think and act and move and live, because otherwise, Lord, it means nothing. Help us as your people to see that. Help us as your people to live in light of that. Lord, I beg you, give us that strength. Give us that ability. Give us that energy. We can't do it for ourselves. Only you can do it in and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.